Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First, and I am so excited to invite back my friend and colleague, Deborah Grayson Regal, and her daughter, Sophie. And they're here to talk about their exceptional new book, Go to Help, 31 Strategies to Offer, Ask for, and Accept Help. And I was lucky enough to get a secret advanced copy to read, and I could not put it down. I love this book for two reasons. I love the stories and anecdotes, which made me laugh out loud, literally, as I went through it. But the second reason was, I think you must have written it for me, in which case I thank you, because I have always prided myself as being very independent. Give me a target, I'll go do it. So asking for help, not one of my strengths. I'll offer it. And then the third bit, the accepting help when people do offer it, I'm learning to embrace that. So thank you for having me as your muse. <laughs> well, thank you for volunteering without even knowing you were volunteering. Well, there you go. So let's go back to the actual honest truth here then. So what was the inspiration for writing Go to Help? Uh, so the inspiration for writing Go to Help really came out of the first book that we wrote together called Overcoming Overthinking, 36 Ways to Tame Anxiety for Work, School, and Life, uh, which is really a book about managing anxiety. Both of us have anxiety disorders and have wrestled with this our whole lives. And we found that one of the topics from the book and from our programs and webinars on the topic that kept coming up where people said, I want to know more about that was the idea of helping people become what we call help fluent, meaning help that fluid. when you need help and you say to somebody, I could use some help, they don't know how to help if you're not a little bit more specific. And most of us don't have the vocabulary to be more specific about what do we want. Um, and when you are offering help, chances are people aren't specific as well. And people tend to rely on their most tried and trusted and most positively reinforced way of helping, which is typically what? To fix it for someone else. To fix it for someone else. Okay, are you sure I wasn't your muse? I'm a big <laughs> No, I had, had someone specific in mind, but it wasn't you. Yes. Okay, well, thank you. Well, you and I are only just meeting. So, Sophie, as you were doing the research for this book and thinking about it, what was most surprising for you in those early stages around what gets in the way of our ability to give or ask for help? That's a great question. You think about that. I think I didn't quite think about some of the mindsets that we have um, that can get in the way of asking for help because um, I guess I, I was thinking beyond myself and I was thinking, oh, actually, I'm not super good at asking for help either. And what are the mindsets that I have that are keeping me from asking for help are actually the same ones that other people have as well. Um, I kind of thought I was unique in that way, um, but it turns out I'm... I'm a model of being bad at asking for help. And so I was able to use my experience to help write this book. So in that case, we can all take away from this that we're all normal when we're, we could do better in either of these three categories. And in fact, those three elements, the giving, the asking and the taking of help, it's a lovely way of structuring the book. And it seems so obvious to me when I read the manuscript, it was like, oh my goodness, yes, you can't have 
one without the other two. And the key here is balance. So, so Deborah, for you, which is your strongest? Are you a giver or an asker? Giver. Or a oh, my goodness. I, I think both Sophie and I would both say that we are um, ready, willing, and able to jump in today. I'll just even share an example from today. This morning, Sophie and I went for a walk in the neighborhood, and a car pulled up to us, and a woman rolled the window down to say, we just fenced in our backyard, and our dog, Linus, got loose. Mm-hmm. And you see a golden retriever, please, here's my number. And Sophie immediately went to, I think I should get in the car and drive around for a while to help find this dog. Mm -hmm. It was just this immediate instinct to go to help. When it comes to asking for help and accepting help, we wrote this book for us to learn from. Okay, because that's one of the the chapters in the book is that our default way of of helping isn't enough. So say more about that. So how would you describe Sophie's desire to jump in the car and start driving around the neighborhood looking for the golden retriever? Why isn't that enough? Well, I don't think in in this situation there was enough time for me to properly ask what kind of help do you need? And she pretty much said, like, if you see him, please return him. And that's what she was asking for. Um, and so I did a little bit of interpretation behind the scenes. What would she actually appreciate? And she wouldn't appreciate a care package. Like, I'm not going to go give her a box of cookies. Um, <laughs> or I'm not going to yeah. go tell her, you know, it's all going to be okay. So I think what she really needed at that moment was for someone to really um, keep an eye out for her. Yeah. 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 I think I want to just highlight one of the things that Sophie said. So first of all, I will take the cookies if you know, if you don't want yeah, to yeah. her. Right. But the, the second thing, I, I, I think there's often a mismatch between the emotional support that people give and the emotional support that people need, as well as the practical support that people give and the practical support that people need in the moment when somebody, she was scared and sad and upset. And that was really clear. um, It probably would have been overstepping or even inappropriate to say like, don't worry about it. It's, it's going to turn out fine. The dog will show up. We don't know that. And we we don't know her. We don't know her and we don't know that. And to Mm -hmm. minimize somebody's concern is not helping. And many people have an instinct that if somebody else is upset, it makes us uncomfortable. So we want to clean the whole thing up and Mm -hmm. tell somebody, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. Your dog will come back is not particularly helpful for most people. So what's one of the help strategies that you recommend that stops us just going to our default reaction? Well, that's one of the benefits of the book is that there are 31, right? There are 31 strategies. And the first part of the book is really understanding why help is more complicated than we think it is. And so um, recognizing that the a very first thing that we can do is make a distinction between do we think this person needs action or do they need some kind of uh, emotional support is a really important distinction. And this woman, who we don't even know, asked us to take action. Mm-hmm. And okay. I also think well, what's important here is when the first part of the book when we talk about what is help and how does help actually evolutionarily help us um, and that sort of thing. When we look at our natural instincts, we have a better idea of how we can recognize them in ourselves, how we can basically recognize like, 
I am acting in an impulsive way because of X, Y, Z reason. Let me take a step back um, and mm. think about this and take a, take a break from my natural instinct or my natural drive to go help someone and think about what can I do instead. And, and I would just add one other thing to that is uh, we have, uh, I think we probably mentioned it multiple times, the idea that um, intention does not equal impact when it comes to oh. health and when it comes to so many other things. So, so say more, say more, yeah. what do you mean by that? So what we mean is it is so often that somebody is trying to do the right thing, trying to do the helpful thing. And it rarely occurs to people to ask for feedback about, is this help helping, right? So I, I going back to the example that I, I mentioned before, I have tons of people in my life that when I'm having a hard time, when I'm feeling anxious or upset, I have a ton of people in my life who will remind me that I've survived all of my setbacks, that I have resources available to me, that this will feel better after a shower or a piece of chocolate. I'm surrounded by people like that. They intend very, very well. It rarely has the impact that they intend because it's minimizing my experience. So the person that I tend to call when I'm having a really, really tough day, uh, who I mentioned in the book is my friend Wendy, who will just go, oh, honey, that sucks. And that's exactly what I typically need is for somebody to say, yeah, doesn't it? Yes. No, I can get to all those other places on my own, but everybody's intention is good, but nobody really checks the impact. So I love that because, again, as I think about it, I'm adding now the words the helper and the helpee. So my role as the helper is to tend to try and solve. And you're saying, so you wouldn't call me in the first get-go. But let me turn it around then. So what about the helpee, i.e. the person who either doesn't yet realize they need help or doesn't want to be helped, isn't willing to accept it? I mean, where do I go with that one? So there, there are a couple of interesting things that we talked about um, in terms of when someone doesn't want your help, what do you do? And there are a few situations where you help no matter what. So this is if someone is planning on hurting themselves or someone else. Mm -hmm. um, but in other situations, you need to think about what is my action really doing? Am I doing this for me or am I doing this for someone else? Am I willing to basically take a withdrawal from this relationship bank account by helping when they don't want me to help? Um, and what is that, what is that going to look like for future asks for help? And, and what is that going to look like for the trust in our relationship? So you really need to think about those things instead of just jumping into action. Wow. Some powerful words there when you talk about the, tr uh, the relationship bank account and trust. Can you, is it possible to help too much then? Definitely. <laughs> Go on then. So in what ways do I help too much? Well, anytime that you help someone in a way that takes away their agency, uh, takes away um, their sense of autonomy, if autonomy feels important to them, their independence. their independence, you take away somebody's learning opportunity by messing mm -hmm. it up and learning from those uh, those mistakes, that can be helping too much. And we also talk about in the book, you know, helpers fatigue, that there are so many of us who want to help, who are ready to help, who get um, a helper's high, which is also one of the <laughs> things that 
about like, yes, I helped someone. That feels awesome. And Sophie and I and you, Mariah, we're all in helping professions, right? Mm -hmm. So we get this, this burst of adrenaline and serotonin and dopamine, all of these chemical reactions when we help someone. And it can become addictive to us to help, addictive enough that we actually stop recognizing what is the potential cost to this help that I'm giving somebody who maybe didn't oh. ask for it, maybe doesn't want it. I can see that as a double-edged sword because it can result in that, you know, it fills the need to be needed, a um, bit of a people pleaser. So, of course, mm -hmm. I'll drop everything and help. But also the downside of that is I'm dropping everything in order to help, so I'm not helping myself always right. in helping you. And if I'm always a giver of help, it reinforces back to the triumvirate of your book structure in terms of I'm not always looking for the opportunity or enabling others to help me. Mm -hmm. And so... Being present and thoughtful through this doesn't just benefit the person who is asking for advice or action or whatever it might be. Being thoughtful in this process, it goes back to your comment, Deborah, around asking for feedback. It helps me to get better because I'm learning and growing through this too. Yeah, and there are, there are nice ways to give feedback and then there are not so nice ways to give feedback. Um, and so, for example, if you are helping me and you're trying to fix it for me, I could say, your help sucks, I'm gonna go ask someone else next time. Or I could say, you know, I really appreciate your intention here and I know that you're really trying to help. Here's what would actually be more helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and we think that if this language, uh, this sort of helping language were a part of every organization, every team, every workplace relationship, including of course, personal relationships, the ability for managers and direct reports and, and colleagues and teams to be able to ask for the kind of help they need, offer a range of helpful solutions other than, yeah, just leave it for me, I'll, I'll get it handled or I'll fix it for you, um, and be able to give and receive feedback about what help is actually helping. Uh, we think that could be really transformational. We hope so. So as you embark on launching this new book to the world, what sort of feedback and reaction are you getting from others who've had the opportunity to either partake in the research and help you? Or like me, read the early manuscript and provide feedback. What are you learning and hearing from your audience? Well, I think one comment that we've been consistently getting is, you know, I was planning on breezing through this book, maybe going through a couple of strategies. And then people are like, I just couldn't put it down because I think there are lots of books out there that talk about help in a very kind of scientific way or very like formulaic and we we like to include a lot of personal examples and personal experiences um so that we can actually relate to people like we're human beings we're not i mean sure we know a lot about this topic but it's not because we're good at all of this it's because we have failed at a lot of this before um so we need to have that personal touch in order to make it interesting to other people yeah and i think in addition to hearing the feedback that somebody thought they would read it because we asked and re and ended up you know, reading every word. I think the other thing we're hearing from people is I never really thought about it this way. Mm -hmm. Everybody I know should read this book, which of course we love to hear. And that uh, yeah. is our goal to take over the world. One helper, one helping strategy at a time, but that yeah. it is whether you are um, a leader and, you know, an early career professional, a parent, um, the adult child of aging parents, a partner, there, there's a strategy uh, and some mindset shifts and some actions you can take that will feel really relevant. So I'm going to kind of do a double thumbs up to that because I agree, everybody should read this book. 
But as I read it, A, it is accessible, Stophie. This is not a dry book at all. And it is a quick read. But what I like about it is with the 31 strategies, it's one that I can dip in and out of now to reinforce and keep it fresh in my own mind. So I know this isn't the first book that you two have collaborated on. So I'm curious about how helping each other I mean, I've, I'm about to launch my third book, The Writer's Block, the the over-engineered chapter that needs some subtle um, refinement from your co-authors, etc. How have you learned and adapted that helping and collaboration process with this book? Oh, this this writing this book was a brutal process. <laughs> it was, <laughs> uh, and I think we have the result to show. For it. I don't think either of us have ever worked so hard on anything. Yes. And I think part of the way that we succeeded is we took turns in complaining about it. Um, <laughs> right. And we took turns in saying, you know, I know you don't really want to do this part. Let me step in and do this part. Why don't you do something that feels more enjoyable to you? Yeah. So we, we're a very, very good partnership. First of all, we're a very good partnership because we both really care about high quality Number two, we're a very good partnership because we're great accountability partners. I mean, it is just not an option for one of us to turn something in late or turn it in in poor quality. That's just not how we roll. Um, and we know enough that if the other person is complaining or having a hard time, we know how to ask the question that we think everybody should be asking, which is what kind of help do you need right now? Do you want mm -hmm. me to commiserate with you that this is so hard? Do you need a pep talk? Do you want me to ask you questions to help you figure out what's blocking you? Like we <laughs> we know how to use these strategies. And when we were on like the third round of editing where both of us were like, I can't read this book one more time. <laughs> um, I was I was um, in college doing my finishing my semester, and I said to my mom, like I have finals coming up or I have midterms coming up. I, yeah. I can't do this right now, and I'm able to say that to my mom um, because we we both know that I'm not making an excuse. And I'll um, just take that out of your allowance. <laughs> my allowance. Okay. allowance. She'll take it out of the cookie she's gonna get that's, you. That's right. That's not right. Never mind. Um, but but I know I knew that I could say that and. I knew that by saying that it didn't mean that I like didn't want to work hard or that I was making an excuse. It just meant this is not something I can do right now. Give me another task that feels like something that I'm have the time yep. or the energy. To and do right and one of our 31 strategies, I mean, I think it is, you know, do you need me to take something off your plate? Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to take that off your plate so that you don't have to do it. And there'll be yeah. something you will one day take off my plate. I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. Um, and I think it's hanging over my head, I, that's right. It is. Yeah. Oh, is that what that is? Um, but I think the other thing is that we have different strengths, Right. So the planning of the book was really, really hard for me. And so if it was like, mom, just trust the process. We're going to do it. Every single time my mom kept trying to break the one rule that the publisher kept saying, like, she's like, you have one rule for this week. And my, and my mom after the call was like, do we really have to follow that? I'm like, mom, can you please just trust the process? Right. Yeah. So we have different strengths. So Sophie was great at the planning. Um, I'm really, really good at bringing in research. That's, mm -hmm. my, that's my area of expertise. Yeah. And you have a lot of research that you could incorporate from previous projects. That's right. So I had a, a lot of, you know, client examples that I could bring, research that I could bring. Um, I'm pretty good at editing. And Sophie is a whiz at proofreading, even mm -hmm. though we had a team to do that for us. And we just 
were able to articulate honestly, I'm going to need your help around this, um, you know, and here, let me help you with this because this feels less taxing to yeah. me. You were very and good at the overall editing. And then when it came to the nitpicky stuff and you, you finished in like five minutes, I'm like, how did you read the half a book in five minutes? I was, I was like, that's not editing. That's called reading. <laughs> okay. Oh, I love this. All right. So I'm curious, is there, um, so there's a theme forming with your books. So with uh, Overcoming Overthinking, 36 Ways to Tame the Anxiety for Work, School and Life. And here we've got Asking for Help and 31 Strategies. What's with the 30s or is it? We, we ran out of ideas after 31. Well, so hold on. Overcoming Overthinking was actually a very deliberate 36. And actually, my first okay. book is called Oy Vey Isn't a Strategy, 25 Solutions for Personal and Professional Success. So we're just mixing, we're mixing up the numbers. But 36 was actually pretty meaningful to us. So um, in Judaism, uh, the number 18 or chai represents life. And so we are two lives 36 that were saved by these uh anxiety strategies so that's and we write about that yeah. in the book oh my 31, goodness. 31 no, like, we, we just ran out of we ran out of ideas we didn't have hey, 36 anymore you can help too much if you'd given 36 it would have been too much that's right overstepping not yeah. creating space for others to yeah. come with their strategies i love that all right so the book is just the 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 starting point so help me or help those who are listening and watching this episode buy the book because i guarantee you will not be disappointed i loved it Thank and you. i am doing my best to pause and be curious and ask those clarifying questions of what do you want me to do solve which is my number one way of doing it listen or give you the pep talk i'm pretty good at pep talks too so it is an, a well worth investment but how do people then who are listening and watching this they get the book how else can they tap into the expertise and learn more about the work that you are doing together and separately yeah. So they can certainly visit us on our websites. So Sophie's website is sophieregal.com, sophieregal.com. Uh, and mine is debragraysonregal.com. And they can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Facebook. Um, I know we, we your were Instagram. No, not really. <laughs> not but really. That's not as professional. Um, <laughs> but I know we were talking because last last book we did a video series talking about each of the strategies and i think both of us are wanting and willing to do that just not right now not right now let's get the book out I know. yeah so eventually we will have those resources available but we i'm sure we will also be giving talks about this and there'll be videos and podcasts and other sort of things that people can um access and people can also email us with questions as well yeah and i think one of the things we found with our last book is that um, both of us had the opportunity to speak to managers and leaders and you know early career professionals in a variety of corporations and law firms that you, you name it and sophie really got asked quite a bit to talk to students mm -hmm. as well as teachers and camp counselors so people who work with young people um and then we both got to talk to to parents but the young people didn't really want to hear from me no um not surprisingly not su <laughs> this is the thanks i get no um, that's not what I mean. but uh but you know we got to also talk to you know parent parents as well so we really do see this as a book for professionals parents oh, and partners 
Yeah. It is definitely a book for all the ages. It's a timeless classic. It is going to be one of my go-to recommended resources for the leaders going through Go the programs we're doing. So thank you, Deborah and Sophie, for joining me here on thank People you. First. And I wish you ongoing success with this and, of course, the next book. Oh. <laughs> help! Help! <laughs> thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything, before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.